Awesome. Hey, would you stand to your feet? We honor the reading of God's word in this house. We want to take a, we're in a fun series. I began last week. I'll do a, a brief review. But if you have your Bible, I want you to open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If you use the Version Bible app, you'll see um, our church is listed under there. You go to more on the bottom, events, and then you'll see our church listed there. I have all the notes um, and even a few extras there. I always prepare more than I'm able to preach, so it's a good idea. Get on there. You can get all the notes, all the points. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 11. Are you there? All right. This is what I'm reading this particular verse out of the NIV, and it says this. You will be enriched in every way to be generous on every occasion. Everybody say generous. I'm going to be generous on every occasion so that through us, your giving will repent. Uh, our, your, your, your giving will produce thanksgiving to God. I think we've got, is that a different version up there? Your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Oh my, I've got another verse. Can you move quickly to Matthew chapter 22? Matthew 22 and verse 37. You'll see that the idea of money, finance, and the idea of our heart are very often connected in the Bible, and for good reason. Matthew 22 and verse 37, Jesus said, this is the greatest command, by the way, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Let's pray. Let's ask the Lord's hand on this time as we open his word together. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is light, it's life, it's instruction, it's correction. And I pray now, Lord, for your grace to come in and rest upon this people and upon my life. Lord, I pray for an anointing to begin to fill this house even right now. Come on, church, if you have the liberty, I want you to begin to pray right out loud. Ask the Lord to move. Ask the Lord to open our hearts. If you have liberty, pray with your spirit. Lord, we just ask for a mighty anointing to just fill this place. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that pursues receives what your spirit is speaking. I resist and I rebuke the enemy. He would seek to distract, to divide, to confuse or distort your word as it comes forward. Give us liberty in receiving all that you have for us. May not one word that is from you fall to the ground, empty or void. So Lord, I pray, release a mighty anointing in this place today. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. I've entitled this, I wrestled with the, that's theology, whether you know it or not. And theology doesn't have to be boring. I think it can be very exciting. Now, what we've been dealing with is the topic that Jesus talked about more than anything. Did you know more than heaven and hell, more than how to get saved, more than how to love one another, more than any other topic in Scripture, Jesus talked about money. That's incredible. 
And I find it interesting that most churches today, I I don't even know the last time I heard a, a sermon or a sermon series dealing with money. Maybe we give a brief offering talk. Many churches don't even do that any longer. But uh, uh, how many of you use money from time to time? <laughs> All of this is something that is relevant. I, I had a we had a singles teaching at our last conference because they were talking about how approximately fifty percent of any given church you're going to have singles, and they said so. Stop talking about marriages all the time. Stop, you're only talking to half your church, and so it's like yeah. If I talk marriage, it's relevant to half. If I talk singles, it's relevant to half. When I talk money. It's relevant to everybody within the sound of my voice, whether you got a lot or a little. And so just to review very quickly, I, I began with a, a few different ideas. We began to talk about, and this is all in your notes here, how there are two major trends that we see in Christianity. We see what we would call poverty theology. Everybody say poverty theology. Poverty theology is the general idea we consider those who are poor to be more righteous than those who are rich. And again, I'm not talking about people that are in poverty because they are unwise with their finances, because they're irresponsible, because they don't work, they're lazy. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the individual who says, you know what, I want to sell everything and I want to move to the Middle East and go plant churches. I want to give up everything that I have. I'm going to sell my business. I'm going to sell my vehicles, and I'm going to live on the lease. And I have friends like that. One of my good friends I, I mentioned last week lives in Egypt. He sold absolutely everything, and he got upset with us when we tried to give him a pair of pants. He's like, I only need one pair of pants. I only have two, two legs. I only need one pair of pants. And he has chosen to live in such a way that if persecution were to come to his doorstep, he can literally grab a backpack that has everything that he owns, and he's out the door to a place where he can prayerfully be safe. How many of you agree that's, that's honorable? Like, God bless that man of God. I'd tell you his name, but uh, he lives in a Muslim district, uh, 98% Muslim, ministering to those individuals. Awesome man of God. Poverty. Then there's the idea, the second major camp that we see is what we call prosperity theology. Everybody say prosperity theology. So this is the idea that those who are rich or those who are prosperous are more righteous than those who are poor because it honors those who are being rewarded by God because of their faith. We talked about this last week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do believe in the same way that there are people who are poor because they're living in sin, they're irresponsible, they're lazy. In the same way, there are people who are what the world would call prosperous, but they're charlatans, they're crooks, they're thieves. Uh, And that's not what I'm talking about here. But there is a faith living in the realm of giving that God desires to honor and to bless. And so you say, well, pastor, uh, if there is prosperity and there is, in fact, I, I even put in the notes, there are many examples of righteous rich stewards and unrighteous rich stewards. There are examples of unrighteous uh, poor stewards and righteous poor stewards. We see all of these. I I gave about 30 examples this last week, and so you can go back, find that message on YouTube. Um, We dealt with the topic of should a Christian tithe? Everybody say tithe. Now, 
we dealt with the fact that the tithe predates the law, that Adam and Eve, that Cain and Abel, that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all expressed giving, most of them explicitly, a tithe that they brought before the Lord. This is all before the law. The law instituted, in fact, the law would actually have nearly 30% of income that would go into the work of the Lord. How many glad that we don't live under the law anymore? I mean, wow. And so Jesus did affirm, and I shared this last week, he said flat out, you should tithe. Everybody tell your neighbor, you should tithe. Those are the words of Jesus. That's in red. He told church leaders, you should tithe. But don't neglect uh, charity. Don't neglect mercy. Don't neglect faith. Uh, all of these things Jesus encouraged. And so I, I have always had people, and they're like, uh, this is my favorite. They're like, you know, pastor, I don't live under the law anymore. I live under grace. And so that's why I don't tithe. I live under grace. Well, here's my pushback to that. Did you know that grace actually holds us to a higher standard than the law does? Did you know that? I, I, I shared some of this last week. Uh, I can't remember, only in one of the services. But the idea that under grace, Jesus says, listen, if you hate your brother, you've committed murder. In the Old Testament, you'd have, actually have to commit murder to commit murder. But Jesus is holding us to a higher standard saying, no, if you've done this in your heart, you're guilty. You're guilty. Holds us to a higher standard. Jesus says, if you look upon a person with lust in your heart, lusting after them, you have committed adultery in your heart. Old covenant, well, you commit the act, you're an adulterer. Jesus is holding us to a higher standard under grace. I believe the reason why we can live to a higher standard is we've been empowered by the Holy Ghost. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. And so if you want to live by that standard, now I believe in the tithe. I believe in giving offerings above and beyond as the Lord would put us. But if you're one of those that say, listen, I want to live by grace. I'm not under the law. That's fine. That means your giving needs to exceed what old covenant giving is. That's what that means. You cannot get around being generous and being a Christian. You cannot. And I'm going to deal with that a little bit more today. But before I dive into to, to our points for this morning, I just want to share one other idea. You'll notice in all of the passages that Jesus is dealing with money, one of the things that he continually goes to is, what do you love? What are the affections of your heart? And it's the reason I had us read that Matthew text at the beginning of our service that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the greatest command straight from the mouth of Jesus. On that single command, he said, hang all the law and the prophets. Meaning, if you love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're determined, I'm going to love everybody the same way I love myself. You're not going to struggle to fulfill the Ten Commandments. You're not going to struggle to live a righteous life. I, I think where we all get messed up is when our love is messed up. You want to know why I think... So many people leave the church because they've been offended. It's real quiet in here. 
I believe it's because they have other loves that outweigh their love for the Lord. I've had people that hurt me, but I love Jesus so much. I love Jesus, and I love his bride. I love what he loves so much. Guess what? I love him more than I love you. And so you can hurt my feelings, but for his sake, I'm still going to love him, and I'm going to love the church. I don't understand people backsliding because people are hurting them. It shows me that they either love themselves too much or they value other people's opinions more than they value God. So even in the realm of finances, people get offended when we receive offerings. Do you know that? They get offended. They get upset. Why do we pass the offering bucket? Why do, Pastor, why are you talking about money? I actually haven't had anybody ask me that uh, in this series. But, but why are we talking about money? Well, Jesus talked about money. And if it rubs us the wrong way, if, if our devotion to God is overshadowed by our love and concern for money, friend, we need to check our love. We need to check our heart. And that's where Jesus, even Timothy says that the love of money, the love of money, everybody say the love of money, is the root of all kinds of evil. Never says that money is the root of all evil. That's an, uh, a common misquote. But it's the love of money that leads to many different types of evil. So we're going to check our love. Amen? Now, I want to talk about the theology of generosity because you say, are we a prosperity church? Are we a poverty church? I say neither. What I want to be, what I believe is what I call generosity theology. Everybody say generosity theology. This is the idea that we are generous givers on all occasions and we have the means to be a blessing. We are generous givers on all occasions, and we have the means to be a blessing. That means that when God puts it on your heart, we need to support a missionary. You have the means to be able to do so. When you see a need within the church, somebody's struggling to pay their electric bill this month. Mine has almost doubled over the last number of months. Anybody with me? And you may see somebody struggling to cover their costs, and, and God puts it on your heart. I want to be a blessing to that person. Generosity theology gives you the ability to be a blessing anytime God puts it on your heart. And we read the verse earlier, 2 Corinthians 9-11. This would be a good verse to memorize. This is like, I want this to be a life verse for me. That God will enrich you in every way to be generous on every occasion. That's a new covenant scripture right there. No matter how you break it down, we are to be enriched. That means God wants to grow and bless and prosper your life so that you can be generous on every occasion. You're a manager. I want to give my employees a great Christmas bonus. Well, we pray that you may be enriched in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. You say, I, I sell, I don't know, what do you sell? Cars. I sell, what's that? 
essential oils. Okay, whatever. You know, but I want to I want to give something away. Well, God has enriched you so you can be generous on every occasion. This is this is the Lord's desire for us. This is generosity theology. So, let me tell you a couple things about generosity theology. Are you ready for this? I want you to write these things down. If you want to be generous, here's what we need to practice. Number 1, generous giving is sacrificial. Generous giving is sacrificial. By the way, most of my verses today are coming out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. These are two entire chapters in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul is explaining what, what I would call generosity theology actually looks like. This is what a New Testament believer's life should look like. And you'll see in chapter 8 from pretty much verses 1 through 12. I'm not going to read all of that, but I'll, I'll summarize it for you. He talks about the Macedonian church and how they were experiencing severe affliction and poverty, but their response was to be generous with abundant joy. In fact, the way that it says is overflowing generosity. They were in severe affliction. Everybody say severe affliction. And they were in poverty. Everybody say poverty. I don't know if that describes your life, but this is how they were. They were abundant in joy and overflowing in generosity. This is sacrificial giving. It's a joy to give when you have a lot to give. But it's a real test of your faith in generosity if you have little to give and you're still attempting to be generous. Are you hearing me today? My wife and I, we determined from early in our walk, I mean, from even not early in our walk with God, from before we got married. In fact, she modeled this for me even as I was dating her. I would watch her generosity. I would watch God's, I mean, miraculous provision in her life. I'd never grown up in a church that was like, you know, faith giving, generosity, theology, prosperity, mess, none of that. I grew up in a poor Baptist church that was like, you know, you'd be the hero if you sold everything and, and went into missions. Like, your king, right? It was only poverty theology. So this was a new world when I'd watch my wife give her way to increase. Like, how does that work? Next week I'm talking about sowing and reaping. Oh, it's powerful. Generous giving is sacrificial. There were times that my wife and I, pursuing the will of God, had $20 for groceries. Now, that would never work here. Praise God, they give you two loaves of bread. But in South Dallas, it, it, we made it work. And there were moments where God would just bless our socks off. I'll never forget a day when uh, one of our neighbors come knock on the door and tells my wife, come with me. Where are we going? Just come with me. Pack up the kids. Let's go. And she took her to a, like a, a butcher shop. Anything you want. She filled our fridge and our freezer with fresh meat. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of dollars, more than we could have. But we had $20 that week for our regular groceries, and, and God provided for us. But you want to know something that we determined to do? We had $20. I mean, this is literally how it worked. We had $20. 
But we had determined, not only are we going to tithe, which a tithe on $20 is not much, but we're, we're going to tithe, and we would also determine, but we're going to give. You understand there's a difference between tithe and give. Tithe, I'm returning 10% to the Lord. Giving is when you begin to exceed that, and, uh, and that can go to the church or it can go to other causes. And so we would return the tithe, but we would take an offering. We would take $20 We'd put it in our wallet, put it in our purse, and wherever the Lord instructed us, we would give it that week. $20 for groceries. You understand? $20 to give is a sacrifice. And so we would. We might be working. I remember one day we were, we were in Target or something. We probably just did our grocery shopping. We had a gift card for Starbucks, so we go through Starbucks. And I remember having a conversation with the young girl who was there, and somehow she ends up like pouring out her guts as we're getting our coffee. She's crying. And we turn to each other, and I say, I think this is, I think this is where. So we gave that young girl a $20 tip which is a huge tip for coffee. And, uh, but God, I mean, you know, I ought to have you share some of these stories. That we, would, we would give, and within days, we'd get like 200 bucks. Like, we would give, and God would multiply it 10 times. That happened for week after week after week after week. But there was, I mean, I'm telling you, sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. This is what generosity actually looks like. There was a moment where I was teaching a class at, at a mega church, okay? Uh, my Wednesday evangelism class had nearly 300 people in it. And, uh, and so I'm doing this. We're leading outreaches, and a prophet comes to me. You know, sometimes I just want to run away from prophets. I don't know if anybody else is with me. But the prophet comes to me during a time of prayer, and he says, God's going to open doors, but you need to serve, 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 serve. Okay, I got it. I go, I'm teaching this class, and the class is going so well that the senior pastor comes to me. I'm just a volunteer here, friend. The pastor comes to me and says, I want to pay you for doing this class. And what begins to go through my head? Serve, serve, serve. I've got $20 that I'm giving my wife every week for groceries. We're giving above and beyond that. We're returning our tithe. Here's a pastor of a megachurch who wants to pay me for, for doing this class. And I just hear the word serve. So you know what I say? Pastor, I appreciate that. But I really feel like I'm just supposed to serve. Okay. So I continue to serve. Nine more weeks in that class. And I shared the story last week. There was a moment at the tail end of that. We're still living on this $20 budget, friend. We're sitting in a church service at this church. And there's a single father in his two or three, two kids, I think, who, three kids who are standing up there on stage. Single dad, three kids. And they begin to share how Dad wants to put their kids in school but can't afford tuition for all three of their kids. They had a great Christian school, great Christian program. And I'm sitting there with my wife. We had just gotten blessed $200. We gave 20, we got $200. So I had $200 in my wallet. And I turned to Leah as I'm looking at this man and his kids. 
and I pull out one of the $100. And I love, my wife has faith. I mean, I, I could ask her, Leah, I feel like we need to give everything in our bank account and savings and let's run up our credit cards on giving. Like, she would just go for it. That's just how she is. I look at her knowing we have next to nothing, and I say, I feel like we're supposed to give this $100 today. It was a huge offering for us. We give that offering, bless that family. The church did. In fact, several families, single parents, were able to get their kids in school. But the next week, the pastor of that church comes back to me, not asking me if he can pay me to do a class, but he says, I want to bring you on full time. Can I have you be our staff evangelist. He's like, you can travel all you want to, but if you'll come here and you'll keep outreaches going in our church, I want to give you a full-time salary. And that I felt the Lord said yes to. We instantly went into a position where we were able to buy a home. My wife didn't have to work two jobs anymore. I can't look at you because it makes me emotional. You guys have no idea. That same church is still blessing us to this day. Do you realize that's the church that's given us $150,000 towards our building program? That church is still blessing us to this day. And so I, I look at this. You know what that is, friend? That's generosity theology. That is sacrificial giving. We are sowing and we are sowing. And it's $20. It's $20. Maybe on a good week, $100 that we're sowing. But look at what God has done. Not only did he open salary way more than I ever gave, but it's still blessing us to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars today. I'm just telling you, this thing works. Now, so that, that's number one. Uh, generous giving is sacrificial. Number two, generous giving is a gospel issue. Everybody say a gospel issue. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time because I, I touched on this last week a bit. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. This is an important passage for us. In fact, if we got it, there it is on the screen. Look at this. Let's, this, is, this is the Bible. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. Now, I did have questions about this as I mentioned it last week. But here's, here's what I'm convinced. There are things that Jesus did in his lifetime on this earth, in his 30 years on this earth, that were producing something. The reason I will pray with conviction for bodies to be healed is because I live with the knowledge that Jesus bore stripes on his back and by his stripes we are healed. If Jesus paid for us to be healed, I believe that it's our responsibility to do what we can to lay hold of which, that which Jesus has made available. It's the reason I'll give salvation calls. Every time we get together, I am convinced that Jesus 2,000 years ago laid down his life on the cross. He bore our sin, our judgment, so that we could be forgiven. Everything he did was purchasing something. And in that same category, the Bible says Jesus was rich, but for our sakes became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. I had people ask me, you really think Jesus was poor? You really think Jesus was poor? Well, here's, here's my response to that. Carpentry 
was an honorable trade, and Jesus did make good money comparatively. But there was a time where Jesus laid down everything in order to move into the ministry. There was a time he sacrificed all to move into ministry. In fact, he told one would-be disciple, listen, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head at night. He's living homeless. The ministry had money. We know that because the Bible actually names a number of notable women primarily who funded the ministry of Jesus. And we know that they had enough money to have a treasurer. Anybody know who Jesus' treasurer was? Judas, yikes. And uh, we know that there was enough money there that he stole from the money. So, you know, Jesus' ministry had money. Jesus at time had money. But he also was willing to sacrifice everything for the ministry. But here's what I would consider. Jesus is eternally existent. Jesus was with his father in the creation of the world, you understand. And you imagine Jesus is walking on streets of gold. That's their pavement up there. He's walking through gates. The Bible describes that the, there's, there's 12 gates that surround the, uh, the New Jerusalem. That, and it's one massive pearl. I mean, you think you got some big pearls. Uh, uh, one gate. That's their door coming into the city. Riches you cannot begin to wrap your head around. There is no kingdom on the earth at any time throughout history that even comes close. And this was Jesus' position. This is where he was. And he laid that down to be born in a manger. There's no way, even if he was wealthy on the earth, friend, where he was compared to where he came, that's poverty. That's a willingness to sacrifice everything. But he did that, the Bible says, so that we could become. I know this, 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 like, ugh, this rubs some of you the wrong way. It's the Bible. It's the Bible. Bring that verse back up again. Look it up in your own Bible. It's in your Bible, I promise you. 2 Corinthians, what was it again? 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It's in your Bible. He was rich for your sakes, became poor, that through his poverty might become rich. Just leave that on the screen for a second. I saw one commentator who said, this is a spiritual richness. That when you believe in Jesus, you become spiritually rich. It's not talking about natural. The problem I have with that friend is Every other verse in that chapter and the next chapter is not dealing with spiritual richness. It's dealing with financial and material richness. These entire chapters are about money. Why would we say the one difference? And, and, and let me give you one other theology idea. This is going to mess with some of you. Did you know heaven is real? I know this is mind-blowing. This is theology for you. And what I mean by that, heaven, heaven is not some spiritual state of existence. It's not, now I'm in nirvana. You understand? This is not, I've reached enlightenment. No, it's not some spiritual fog out there, some mystical realm. Heaven is real. 
Heaven, in fact, is more real than this. We're living in a shadow, the Bible says, compared to the reality that's going to be expressed in heaven. And there's going to be a time. I don't know if you've ever read the back of your Bible, but the Bible talks about there's going to be a moment where a new heaven physically descends to the earth. It's going to come here. We're going to receive a new heaven and a new earth. It's a physical place. That's why you're going to receive a new glorified body. It's real. You say, well, what's, what's the point of all this? My point is, Jesus left real riches, not spiritual riches. There's no way. I, I mean, it's real what he left. And the poverty he came into was real. So that for your sakes he became poor so that through his real poverty you might become rich. For real. This is generosity theology. I believe it's a gospel issue. And here's my encouragement. Man, I have people that come to me like, well, do I need to get prayer for this or prayer for that? I'm like, what's it going to hurt? Like, we're going to pray. And if you need it, you're going to be glad that you got prayer. If you don't need it, well, you got blessed. You say, is this really for me that God, through his sacrifice, desires to make me wealthy? Really? Is that in the Bible? Well, let's try it. Let's try and believe for it. Because if it's not, we're going to get to heaven and find out Pastor Jacob was wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong. I think it's pretty clear what the Bible says. And I just want to encourage you, let's believe for that together. Are you with me? Some of you are with me. All right. So, okay, I, I need to go faster. Number three, generous giving blesses the big C church. You say, what's the big C church? The big C church, what we are in right now in Kings Kona, this is little C church. Big C church is, well, it includes the Baptist church. Do we have a Baptist church here? It includes the Methodist church. Includes the Lutheran church, maybe even the Catholics, not the Mormons, um, <laughs> for real. Uh, so, but we, uh, you know, the big C church, the churches that belong to Jesus Christ, the church for whom he bled and died for, the church that is his bride whom he's returning for, uh, that's the big C church. And you understand, when we are generous, it doesn't just bless this house, but it blesses the big C church. We're expanding the kingdom of God. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 8, 13. He talks about all the other ministries and churches and how their needs are going to be met. For I do not, uh, do not mean that others should be eased and you burden. Next verse. But by an equality that now this time your abundance may supply their lack and their abundance may supply your lack that there may be equality. He's talking to the Macedonians in the Corinthians church. He's like, these guys were afflicted. They were in poverty, but they gave generously. Corinthians, I want you to do the same thing. He's challenging them with the idea of giving. And guess what? It expands the kingdom of God. He's asking the Corinthians, I want you to give an offering that it's not going to benefit the place you worship, but it's going to benefit the church. Do you realize, beginning of 2020, we sat down with a room of, I don't know, about a thousand people, some joining us online, 
And they voted on whether or not they were going to invest $4.2 million to open a church in Kona, to buy this building, to buy this property. Do you understand that the fact that we are here receiving from the Lord today is because somebody outside of this church said, I believe in what God could do there. I think about that stuff, man. Do you understand there are churches all around the world who are benefiting because you are a faithful and a generous giver? If you don't understand how Kings works, we have 500 churches around the world right now. We're believing by 2025 we'll be in 1,200 locations, and by God's grace we'll do it. By your generosity, we will do it. What we do as a church is we, as a location, we survive on 80% of our budget. Everything that comes into the general fund, we take 10% of it and we immediately send it to our overseas works, starting new churches, starting and planting new works. We take another 10% and we give that to our U.S. churches that are being established all across the United States of America. And so whether you know it or not, every time, if you give $100, $20 of that is immediately going to international missions and what we call our U.S. Harvest Fund. We are giving, and this is the stuff that motivates me. Can you imagine? Just think with me for a moment. There's going to be a day where you get to heaven, and there's going to be some Vietnamese dude who walks up to you, and we'll all understand each other, I think. All tribes and tongues and peoples and languages, they're still going to speak their own beautiful language. But some Vietnamese guy is going to come up to you, And say, because you gave in that missions offering, there was a church that was built right down the street from me. I got born again in that church. I'm here and I'm saved because you gave. It builds the big C church. Churches all around the world are thriving, growing, and prospering because you and I are generous givers. It's a big deal. Number four. Okay, I need, to, I need to end this, huh? Uh, number four, generous giving is motivated by friendly competition. Everybody say competition. I know this will rub some of you the wrong way, too. That's okay. Did you, you wore steel-toe boots today, your steel-toe slippers? I know money rubs people the wrong way. But Paul, I, I mentioned what he did. He is, th- think about this. He is comparing the giving of the Macedonian church to the giving of the Corinthian church. Hey, like, hey, guys, this church I was just ministering at was way more poor than you, but they're way more generous than you. So you need to give. That's exactly what he did. You say, what's that? That is not a seeker-sensitive offering message at all. But he was challenging them. I've seen how generous these people can be and look at, what, look at what God's doing. Supplying your need is supplying my need. I want you to have the same blessing. I want you to be a part of something just like that. King David, oh my goodness. You notice there was a moment at the end of 2 Chronicles 28 and 29. I'm sorry, 1 Chronicles 28 and 29. King David, he comes and he says, I want to build a temple for the Lord. And then this is what he does. I'm going to give this much. And he tells everybody exactly what he's going to give. And then he inspires them. Beat me. 
Can you as a, as a body, can you as a people give more than me? And they came close. They didn't beat him. And this is why I, I do this with people that are close to me. In fact, I don't do this, but it's pulled out of me. My brother Jeremy, Minister Jeremy, he'll call me. How much have you given this year? I'm like, Jeremy, I don't want to talk about that. I said, I bet I beat you. And he, he competes with me over this thing. What is that? He's spurring me on to greater levels of generosity. He's spurring me on to greater levels of, of godliness. I mean, I think there's something to this. It's powerful. So it's fine. Um, uh, generous giving. I'll talk about sowing and reaping next week. Worship team, would you come? I'm, I'm closing now. Number six. Actually, number five. Number five, generous giving is evidence of Christianity. That's right. Generous giving is evidence of Christianity. The Apostle Paul shared, 2 Corinthians 9, that when someone receives the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will become generous. When they receive, in fact, do you guys have that verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 13? This is the proof of the ministry. They glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with all them and all men by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. To break down that King James verbiage, he's saying these people glorify God through their confession of Jesus and by their generous giving to others. This is what I'm convinced, friend. That when you have received the generous grace of God, truly, you cannot help but be generous to others. Jesus said that those who are forgiven much, they're going to love much. Because they know, God, you've done such a radical work in my life. I cannot help but to do this. And church, if generosity is an evidence of God working in our life, I just, it makes me wonder if we're stingy, have we received the grace of God? Do we know what generosity even feels like if we're unwilling to be a giver? Remember something weird happened to me about six months into my getting saved, I was prayer partners with a, a great man of God. Today he's on staff with the upper room. This guy was my accountability partner, my prayer partner in every way. And I'll never forget one day he came to me with something that was grieving him. And I began to feel the strangest emotion. Like he's sharing his needs with me. And I don't know if you've ever been with this, but my heart cared for what he was talking about so much. Like I started crying. I don't know if you guys see me cry from time to time, but at the time I was like, what's this wet stuff coming out of my face? Like I didn't know I was hard before I came to Jesus. And you know what I began to discover is when I fell in love with Jesus, the fruits of the Spirit began to grow and produce in my life, and all of a sudden, I find myself loving. Wow. That was, that was new for me. 
Whoa, what is this weird feeling? That's love. That's a fruit. And in the same way, friend, when God begins to pour out his generosity on your life, a natural response is, I want to be generous like that. I want to be a giver the way that Jesus is a giver. Now, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to act on this. You'll notice we didn't receive an offering earlier in the service. But we're going to do that right now. And one of the things that we're going to pray for is last week I dealt with the spirit of poverty. Our generosity breaks the spirit of poverty. I shared testimony about how we received offerings in homeless ministry. All expenses were paid, but we received offerings. Why? Not so we could receive money, but I wanted them to have poverty broke off of their lives. And we watched homeless individual after homeless individual getting jobs, getting into college, getting homes. I mean, it's the wildest thing. Somebody told me last week, you need to write a book about this. Maybe I do. I want my ushers to come up and down the aisles right now. If you need an envelope, I want you to raise your hand. If you want to give online or a text to give, there's the information coming on the screen. I believe what the Bible says, Malachi 3. As we give, he's going to open the heavens. He's going to rebuke the devourer. I believe for some of you, God may put it in your heart to give, even like my wife and I did. I don't have much. I don't have a lot, but I want to do something. And see how God multiplies. See how God opens doors. He blesses my obedience. Hallelujah. Would you stand all across the room right now? If you're still preparing your gift, that's fine. In a moment, ushers, if I could have you put those just right here. Normally we have some kind of step-down response in, in response to our faith coming to Jesus, but I felt like it was fitting in this time to take a step of faith as we bring our gift. In fact, I... I returned our tithe just earlier today. And one of the things I like to do is with my phone, I like to come and I, I'll tap the thing. Just, I don't know, I feel like step of faith. I like to feel like I'm doing something. So if you want to do that, if you don't want to, that's fine. Would you take that gift and hold it in your hand right now? And God, I believe even now, for generosity to begin to break out amongst this people. I believe, Lord, according to your word, that you desire to enrich our lives in every area so that we can be generous on every occasion. And for some of us, Lord, we're just beginning to break into this realm of, of tithing and giving. But God, I believe your word that you will enrich us that you will bless us, that you will bring increase over our lives in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray even for the warfare that happens as we give. Lord, you said that you would re rebuke the devourer for our namesake. And so, Lord, we just stand on your word and your declaration. There are not going to be things that consume our finances unexpectedly. We will have enough. You will give us our daily bread. 
and you will give us enough to be a blessing on every occasion. Lord, I believe for this right now, according to your word, in Matthew 16, 16, you said that what we bind on the earth is bound in heaven. What we loose in the earth is loosed in heaven. So right now, on the authority of Scripture in your word, I bind the spirit of poverty that would try and grip the people of God. I bind every work of the enemy, that which would seek to consume or devour our finances in Jesus' name. I resist you. I rebuke you. And right now, Lord, I pray for the spirit of generosity that breaks the curse of poverty to be released in and through our lives. Even as we give today, we believe for your blessing. I declare over every person within the sound of my voice, bonuses, raises, promotions, inheritances, witty inventions, ideas, houses we did not build, favor and all we set our hands to do. I declare the heavens are open, the devourer is rebuked, and the time of God's favor has now come in Jesus' name. Come on, if you're ready to give, I want you to step out. I want you to bring your gift to the Lord.